The following message is from the 2018 IBCD Summer Institute, Loving Wayward Souls. Your Father, I thank you so much that you've brought together a group of women here who want to know what your Bible has to say about prayer and fasting. I know that there are women here who are mothers of prodigals and others who um, care about family members who are wayward. We thank you for the comfort your word has given us, the teaching we've had so far, and I pray that you would just add to our knowledge in this next hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna talk to you from a mother's point of view towards a child, but these examples can be used uh, like for a wife who's married to an unbeliever, if we have family members like I referred to in my prayer. I also wanna help you to be able to counsel. So I've given you like gobs of verses so you'll be able to apply these things if you're working with somebody who lives with a prodigal, and that's going to happen. You're going to do that if you get into counseling at all. So to begin, I'll just describe my personal feelings of having prodigals. And Emory already told us when she lectured about some of the emotions that come up, but I picked two. I picked grief and fear. Grief means it's like a type of depression, I think. It's grieving over a lost loved one can make the world black. It could make it really hard. It was, for me, hard to worship. I mean, you go into worship and sing. Let's sing the promises of God. And I would just cry. It was so hard to do that. It's hard to hear preaching, well, I mean, we just heard about God loving the lost, and yet, oh man, you know, it's like a stab when you think, I love my child or my sister or whoever it is you're caring for, and i just feeling it. And sometimes at church, you get your friends who are so sympathetic, and sometimes that's really hard too, even though you care and you're glad, but oh, I'm, you know, kind of sometimes I want to forget. I want to just, and people who say things, I mean, they'll like, I know God's going to save your child, and things like this, and just happened to me like two weeks ago, somebody said that, or God has promised your child will come back, and, you know, appreciate dear people, they really trying to minister comfort to you, um, but it can cause your grief to be more difficult, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about fear, too, because you can get into a place like as mother of a child, say, you know, it turns into panic, like, I've got to get this situation under control. I, and fearfulness is leading us into control, right? So we do that, we're fearful for maybe the effect on the other children in the family. We, um, the other children may be neglected because of all this attention going into the one who's straying. Sometimes we tend to blame shift, we blame our spouse. Well, if only he was a better father. If only we, he had chosen a different type of school. If only we didn't live here. If only he led family devotions. You know, this kind of stuff is, comes out of fearfulness, trying to get a handle on things. And then we heard some from Tim Challies about shame and how, you know, 
we know people who come to church with their children with green hair and whatever, you know, and you, you go, oh, hopefully all of us can overcome that and see that those are externals, but don't some of the moms feel embarrassment and shame, frankly, it can be a motivator for some of these kids going off. So we worry about what people think of us, and there are different ways of dealing with grief and fear. John Piper says, eating is the anesthesia of sadness. So some people do that, some become angry. So the first point I wanna make is that we remember that our children do not belong to us. When Mary and Joseph had baby Jesus, they presented him at the temple, right? That's their way of dedicating their child to God. Some of us have had dedication services when our kids were infants, or infant baptisms where you grow up in the church. They are God's children. And as we go through this talk, you're gonna come to the end and say, now I realize Caroline's telling us my relationship with God is going to be primary. That's where we end up. That's how we can have joy. So the focus should be on our relationship. And there are lots and lots of things which take us away from the love for God. And some of it can be, I want my family to be perfect. I want my kids to all be saved. I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, so how many of your sons are missionaries? How many are pastors? Like, right? Like you're a winner in the group if you've got the missionary and pastor kids. Okay, so those can all take us away from the love of God. John Piper says, <laughs> taking the passage in Luke 14, he goes, these things can take you from God, a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. Do you remember that story? Oh, I just wanna go back and take care of my land instead of following you, okay? He says, anything can stand in the way of true discipleship. So I'm not gonna give you the secret to how to bring back your prodigal, okay? But I'm gonna tell you the benefits to you with, of prayer and fasting. I'm gonna talk about prayer first. We'll talk about fasting. I'll summarize the benefits of both prayer and fasting and then a few minutes on my own life. Okay, so prayer to begin with is a relationship with God. Tim Keller in his book says, without immersion in God's words, our prayers may not be merely limited and shallow, but also untethered from reality. We may be responding not to the real God, but to what we wish God and life to be like. So we think about what we pray about. It has to be based on the Lord of the Bible. That's why we do theology, right? Keller also says, the more clearly we grasp who God is, the more our prayer is shaped and determined accordingly. So tell me some of the books in the Bible that have to deal with prayer, that have prayers in them. Go ahead. Psalms. Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians. Old Testament. Right? Give me some Old Testament books full of prayer. Yeah, Prayer of Hannah. Okay, couldn't we just spend the next, we could just list all the books. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. We've got prayers all over the Bible, everywhere. 
um, all kinds of prayers. That's because God is complex, right? God is amazing. So we've got all kinds of people and types of talking to God. Only through Christ, though. So I'm going to read to you Hebrews, some passages from Hebrews about Christ's role in our prayers, uh, starting in chapter 10. Nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, okay, we just heard all about Jesus, didn't we? How amazing is Jesus? Verse 22, then, because of that, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's the kind of prayer we can approach God with. It's also, we see, because of Jesus in Hebrews 4, that we can come before the throne of God. In verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet it's without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And all of you who've been in time of need and been on your knees, you know what I'm talking about, right? Is this verse true? Yes, we find grace by approaching the throne of God. So we also are depending on the Spirit, aren't we? We've got Galatians 4, 6. Because your sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, the Spirit groans. He tells, the Lord tells us to pray about the things we need, okay? Psalm 142, there's an example. I'm glad you all said Psalms, because that is one of the best. <laughs> Full of prayers. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. How comforting is that? God hears us. And I love Deuteronomy 4.7. What a treasure this one is. Let's see if I can find Deuteronomy. Yes. One of, yeah, there's a lot of beautiful stuff in Deuteronomy. Here we go. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. So just encourage you to begin with, when you pray, you're praying to this mighty God who hears and cares. And he tells us, pray over and over and over and over again. Remember that parable? The persistent widow, let's call it that instead of the unjust judge. <laughs> So we know God is not unjust, but we know the widow was persistent. And how many of us have been praying for years 
and years and years for someone. Probably we could all testify to that. So that's what following God's command. Now as we read Matthew 6, we're going to spend a little bit of time here because he's telling us how to pray. Matthew 6. I'm going to look at some of these um, details. It says in verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, let's unpack that one. This is in the whole section of beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Verse 1 in chapter 6. To be seen by them. So then we talk about prayer. It's, you guys have never probably lived in the Middle East like I did, where you saw people at the prayer call, they hear the prayer call, they pull their car over the side of the road, pull out the prayer, what do you call it, prayer rug, lay it on the sidewalk and begin praying right there. Okay, that happens. That is like, what's in the Bible? It's people doing the prayer in front of everyone so we could all see. I don't know about other cultures, but yeah, that was pretty astonishing. It's like the, prayer, the Pharisees, like we just heard about blowing trumpets before they give their offerings. It's just like, let's everybody watch. Um, at service, sometimes we hear people pray and, oh, I've, I've had counselees say, I'm afraid to pray because I don't know how to pray. I don't pray like you do. You know, we want to be careful that prayer is going to be something that is just natural talking to God. It doesn't have to be highfalutin. It's an attitude of, it's from relationship as we just uh, began talking about. Now, does this mean that when we pray, we cannot pray in a group? Or should we all just go off into our corners? No. Because we've seen Jesus himself praise in public. He prays when he offers thanks for the food, when he fed the 5,000. Uh, he's got, we've got so many examples of Jesus praying. It's the attitude. That's what it is. It's to not be seen. And I'm just going to apply this right now to those of us who have prodigals or unsaved husbands in the home. Do you think some of us might be tempted just exhibit prayer to these unbelievers? Oh, okay. You know, I'm praying for you with great big sighs and great big uh, hand wringing and maybe using prayer as a way of preaching. Okay, this is the opposite of what we're talking about. This is silent prayer. This is working with God and beseeching Him out of a full heart. So, Lord, please don't let us do any of that. So, J.C. Ryle it recognizes that it, it's hard for some people to get alone and pray. Okay. Have you ever had a counselor who said, I just can't find time to pray or read my Bible? I once worked with a person, and she gave me like 
five different thing, reasons she couldn't read her Bible so, or pray. So I'd give a suggestion, no, I can't do that. Give a suggestion, can't do that. So J.C. Ryle says, as a rule, we must all make great efforts to obey this rule of prayer. Necessity in some cases is often the mother of invention. <laughs> when a person has a real will to find some place where he can be in secret with his God, he will generally find a way. He'll, he'll do it. So I started praying really intensely. You know where I found my little secret place? It's in my car. So I used to counsel down in La Mesa from Escondido. That's a pretty good hall, especially during traffic. I'm praying all the way down there out loud because ah, I'm getting ready to meet with counselees. What am I going to say to them? And Lord, help me. As I'm leaving, I'm praying all the way back. Lord, help the people I just met with. And so that was a really good practice I began. So when I moved to Charlotte and I'm studying in seminary, this last two years, do you think I was praying for my exams and my <laughs> quizzes as I drive to school? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I began to pray for those like practical stuff, but I found every, now when I'm in the car, it's like no, te no radio, no listening to blogs. I'm praying out loud. This is my little enclosed space, my time with God. So there, long commute is a good thing. <laughs> so. As we see at the end of this section I just read to you, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now think about that, the rewards of prayer. It says that we need to realize the beautiful blessings of being in prayer with God. Spurgeon says, this is his practical suggestion. Be alone, enter little room into which no other may intrude, keep out every interloper by shutting the door, and there and then with all thy heart pour out thy supplication. We don't need to just heap up empty phrases, as it says here. In verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And again, Spurgeon says, our prayers are measured by weight, not by length. How about that? That's encouraging to a mom who has young kids or somebody who's like, oh, I cannot dedicate an hour to prayer. But Lord, you know my heart. It's that crying out to God from the depths of our hearts. So the reward, I think, is growing closer to the Lord. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So Tim Keller tells the story of his wife having um, urgent health need, and then he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And his wife said to him, Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition, condition that the Lord told, I'm sorry, the doctor told you, 
You were gonna die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? <laughs> would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget, you would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, she's telling her husband, we're not gonna make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray, we can't just let it slip our minds. Okay, this is the beautiful thing about a crisis, and a beautiful thing about a prodigal in our life. Lord, it draws me closer to you. Praise God. It's hard. But Tim Keller reminds us, when you struggle in prayer, you can come before God with the confidence that he is going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. He does care, and he loves you boundlessly. It's such a way with words. So as we think about fasting, it's not very common, is it? I don't know, how many of you have fasted? How many of you have churches that have times of prayer and fasting? Okay, not so common in the Christian life now. I was just downstairs in the break room with Tim Shelley as I said, I'm gonna quote you in my talk. Here it is. Fasting is refraining from food for a period of time. And he's, Tim Chalice goes, it's not like giving up something for Lent, like Facebook. <laughs> he says, biblically, we are to fast from food for this simple reason. Food is something we need, not merely something we want. You may want to use Facebook, but you need to eat food. Thus, in fasting, you are withholding from yourself something you need food in order to pursue something you need even more, communion with God. And prayer and fasting goes together, doesn't it, in the Bible? It's in there several times. We're going to look at some details on that in a minute. So some church, some people have fasting for sympathy for the hungry. Have you ever heard of that? Okay, now we might want to think about whether that is a biblical fasting or not. So you can decide by the end of this talk. Does anybody know the two U.S. presidents who've declared a day of prayer and fasting for the United States? Does anybody have a guess? Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln 1863 during the Civil War. I didn't know that, I looked it up. Okay, you can see why. Civil War, time of great conflict. Okay, he declared a day of prayer and fasting, which is... So amazing to think. That was like a national edict. Uh, guess on somebody else way back at the beginning. Good guess. Good guess. I found out it was John Adams. You can find his declaration for prayer and fasting because our nation is under threat. It was actually, they were worried about the French invading, okay? 1799. But he declared a day of repentance and fasting for our country. That was astonishing. So 
John Piper says, fasting is not the only way or the main way that we glorify God in preferring him above his gifts, but it is one way, and it is a way that can serve all the others. So prayer and fasting together. Now, we're not talking about fasting like we've seen in other religions, and I can go back to the Muslims again and talk about Ramadan. So a lot of us now have been exposed to what is Ramadan? It's a 24-hour fast. I mean, it's fasting during daylight hours. I'm sorry. During daylight hours. Muhammad declared that, not knowing that in the northern hemisphere, daylight hours are like 20 hours in the Norway. You didn't have a clue about that, I think. So other cultures fast. Hindus fast. Native Americans fast. Um, Gandhi fasted. Prisoners in Guantanamo Bay. Okay, okay, this is like a big old jumble of what God has assigned to be for fasting. And as we think about fasting in the Bible, we see that in the Old Testament, fasting is a word for affliction. And that's what the Jewish people thought of when it's speaking of humbling oneself before the Lord. So Leviticus 16, verse 19. Wait. Is that right? Oh, it's a whole big thing. Oh, it's the, during the Day of Atonement. That's right. The fasting, the humility, the um, coming before God in recognition of our sin. That was in the Old Testament prescribed. We have uh, people in the Old Testament fasting. Does any other people, can y'all remember any people who fasted in the Old Testament? Esther's Esther, when they were under threat, that's right. She was praying for wisdom. What happened in Jehoshaphat's day? Oh, okay. I didn't have that on my list. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so again, in times of disaster, like dire conditions, fasting. David, when his child by Bathsheba was sick, he didn't eat for days, remember? Okay. Um, yeah, we've got Anna. Well, that's New Testament. So let's talk about New Testament. Anna was fasting in the temple, waiting for the Messiah. Jesus, during the temptation, I mean, before the temptation, he was fasting. That's why the bread was such an issue. And um, it's interesting, that the whole section in Matthew 9 about Jesus talking about, why don't your disciples fast? Do you remember that? Uh, 9.15, it's talking about um, disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. So you can't find a command to fast in the New Testament, but you see this example. Jesus does say people will be fasting. You know, he doesn't give prescribed when you should do it. But we saw as... You, as you read in the book of Acts, don't the churches get together and fast before they send out the um, apostles on their missions trips? Uh, before elders were appointed, Acts 14, there was fasting. It's not even mentioned outside of 
the synoptic gospels though in Acts. Not in the epistles, we don't see fasting there. So in Acts there was fasting, we're gonna fast until we kill Paul, remember that group? Okay, that can be so confusing. So let's go back to Matthew 6 and see what Jesus says about fasting there. In verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's the same theme again. In secret, your Father will reward you. Okay. So, Spurgeon will say, act, he's telling us, act in seasons of extraordinary devotion as you do at other times, that those with whom you come in contact may not know what special devotion you're practicing. It's a good summary of that passage, right? He says, don't make a big issue. Don't do the whole, oh, sighing and eye rolling and whining type of fasting. And I'm saying, do not do that in front of your unbelieving child or husband that you're fasting for. I mean, really? I mean, are you trying to lay a guilt trip on them? No. I mean, you would have received your reward already. But we know it's not totally in secret because we have these examples of inacts. So any of us who raised our hand who said, yes, we do fasting, that doesn't mean, oh no, now it's all spoiled because I told somebody. No, it's not like that. But it's when you're fasting, you're not going to be a whiner about it. Okay. Because what you're doing is communicating with God. It's between you and God. And we also... Actually, our verse for that is Matthew 5, 16. Just before we get into this section, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So it's the heart attitude. Now, there's some cautions I need to tell you about fasting. And one of them is in... 1 Timothy 4, this is where it's coming up in the epistles, it says in verse 1, in later times some will depart from the faith, require abstinence from foods that God created in order to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Colossians 2, why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul knew some of the dangers we get into when we get into fasting. It's either I'm doing it so everybody knows, or I am taking this as my religious thing, and surely God will do it, do something good for me because I'm fasting for him. But in the new covenant, food's not a thing with God. 
in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 8, he says, food will not commend us to God. Okay, that was, yeah, I just gave you Caroline's version, but here it says, food will not commend us to God. <laughs> we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Fasting can become a prideful thing. Now, I don't know if you walked in circles where people do make a thing of it. Like, yeah, I've been fasting for blah, 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 and they tell you how long and how, okay. As a way of saying, yeah, I'm like in this spiritual level above the rest of you. That's the whole thing that was going on with the Pharisees. But we may know that there are girls who say, I'm going to fast as a way of controlling their eating. And then you're moving into an eating disorder. Okay? So I'm warning you now, when we're talking about fasting, it is totally out of that picture. We're talking here about relationship with God, not fasting in order to control food or even asceticism, like seeming to be more holy. You're thinking of the hermits that way back in the dead, you know, they go out in the desert, they don't eat, or even Martin Luther. I mean, didn't he starve himself and beat himself to try to find holiness? So we're not meant to be dominated by food at all, either if we're eating or if we're fasting. First Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Now, we see many examples in the Old Testament of God just does, could care less if you're fasting for the wrong reasons. He just condemns that, that outward show of religion. And then if you're reading any kind of news story on this subject, you'll find, for example, in the Costco Connection, an article about fasting for health reasons. This is so healthy for you to fast. And uh, so this is the USC School of Gerontology. Randomized clinical study says a five-day periodic fast practiced every few months helped to safely reduce the risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer. And it contributed to the loss of body fat while preserving muscle mass. Okay, we're not fasting for these reasons, girls. This is not, it may, these may be true studies, but we're taking fasting now in a way, again, make myself a broken record. It's relationship with God to preserve that and enhance that. Now, there are reasons not to fast for health. Some people cannot do it. I mean, should not. And I have a list of people who have uh, diabetes, type 1 diabetes, should not consider fasting. Those who are recovering from surgery, malnutrition, obviously, pregnant, lactating women, it's not recommended. If you decide that you want to do a fast, it's always safe to ask your doctor about it. Okay, because they know what medications you're on, they know about your general health, so be sure to ask. But let's spend some time now on the purpose of why we would do any kind of prayer and fasting. 
Now to speak about prayer, James Montgomery Boyce says, much of our prayer is mere wish fulfillment. For we often pray merely by reciting things we would like to see happen. Instead of this, Jesus taught that we are to only pray when we are conscious of being in God's presence and truly communing with him. So this is the intense, Lord, I'm bringing my issues and my problems before you. I need you. I desire you. I crave you. I cannot exist without you, Lord. John Piper said, the root of Christian fasting is the hunger of homesickness for God. That's why we're committed to that. Puritans call it soul fattening. <laughs> fasting is soul fattening. I love that. Piper says, perhaps then the denial of our stomach's appetite for food might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. And you know Piper's famous phrase? It's probably in every one of his books. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And how basic can you get than denying yourself one of those meals or something to eat in order to crave God? It's pretty basic. So as we pray to the Lord, and as we fast, we are submitting ourselves to the will and the glory of God. Back in Matthew, we are praying for our Father, to our Father in heaven, and we're praying that his kingdom may come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. James Montgomery Boyce again says, happiness and joy will come into your life only as you allow God to bend your will to his. Lord, thy will be done. Aren't we following Christ's example when we pray that? Not my will, your will be done. Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. So we can become like Christ when we submit ourselves to him. And we pray with the right motives. 1 John 3, 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And we are to pray without wavering. Oh, maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not going to work. Is God really hearing me? Oh, he doesn't care about me. So get ourselves in the right place where we're remembering who God is and who we are before him and submitting ourselves to him. And actually, what did Jesus say when he was tempted by Satan when he was fasting? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus used his fasting time to turn to God instead of his own physical comfort. But as I'm going to make you a really important point right now, 
after we've had a lot about prayer and fasting. And what I want to say to you is like the biggest thing I learned, and that is fasting is not a way to bargain with God and get what you want. And I'm telling you, when you're hungry and you're spending a whole day in fasting, after a while you're going, come on, I'm doing this. I'm denying myself. Can't you just give me what I want? Can't you just save my prodigal? So Don Piper says, the question is not of earning or meriting or coercing anything from God. Either Schaefer says, is fasting ever a bribe to get God to pay more attention to the petitions? No, a thousand times no. It is simply a way to make clear we sufficiently reverence the amazing opportunity to ask help from the everlasting God, the creator of the universe, to choose to put everything else aside and concentrate on worshiping asking for forgiveness and making our requests known, considering his help more important than anything we can do by ourselves in our own strength and with our own ideas. Okay, got it? Yes, we're not bargaining, we're not uh, denying so that we can make ourselves more holy or more deserving of God's answers. So, Tim Keller tells a story about a guy who did have the wrong attitude. And he says he didn't have his prayers answered. This man thinks that because he'd been a consistent church member for 30 years, a faithful Sunday school superintendent for 25 years, and an elder in the church for 20 years, that God is under obligation to answer his prayer. He is really praying in his own name. So, we're going to pray instead, thy will be done. As we see in the Lord's Prayer, we've already mentioned, that humility, that submission to the Lord. <coughs> and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, in my studies, I found out that the New American Standard says the Lord will repay you, but... That's not really the best idea because that gives the impression that, okay, because I did it, God will give me something now. So that's why we're thinking about reward. And that is the relationship with the Lord is going to be stronger. I mean, look at the context. This whole thing about prayer and fasting is right in this, this bread of the sandwich with the Lord's Prayer right in the middle. And it's how we are to pray in submission and asking the Lord for help. So we have to focus on our hunger for God. We don't know what the Lord will do in the life of our prodigal, but we find peace when we say, thy will be done, not my will be done. Again, Keller, prayers that in accord with a gracious God can connect us to him. If we pray without humility, if we pray filled with demanding impatience, it cuts us off from him. If instead we pray without any confidence or, being hope, or hope of being heard, 
that also blocks any sense of his presence. Both of these mistakes are failures to pray in Jesus' name, to come to God on the basis of undeserved mercy. So a little bit about my story. <laughs> I have three sons. Some of you know this stuff already, but I have three sons who don't believe as we do. And I told a friend about this. I'm a friend in our church. And she said, why don't you try praying and fasting? And I'll do it with you. I will pray and fast with you. So I did. I chose one day a week on a day when it was kind of one of those down days, you know, where you don't have a whole bunch of stuff going on, an easy day when you don't have to use your brain much. So I took, a, I would not have any breakfast or any lunch, but I would fix dinner on those days. Okay, so that's like, a dinner-to-dinner dinner fast. But don't forget you're going to be drinking water all day. Okay? I don't recommend fasting from water or liquids. I didn't, I just drank water. Um, so we, I did that. And I would fix dinner for the family, so not a soul knew. Well, my husband knew, but not the family. And sometimes we had an early dinner that day. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> and I would go around my jobs, you know, I do the laundry and I do all the stuff I'm supposed to do. It's not like I'm sitting in a huddle and not accomplishing anything. But as the day would wear on, those of you fasting, you know what I'm talking about. You get weaker, your uh, brain starts getting fuzzy, you, um, yeah, you lose energy and those hunger pains are just a reminder to pray. I'm praying, I'm praying now, and I'm feeling this need for food, for, you know, just a sustenance. I'm urgently praying, I need you, God, I need you more, I need help. I can't do this. Please save my child. Um, so, that was, a that was what I need. I mean, some of us are really great at praying, but I needed that extra reminder. <laughs> I, took, I would take a break from fasting if we were, if it's Christmas time or if we were on vacation, you know, sensible. But there, I did that for seven years. Okay, don't, don't think that's such a great thing, okay? But that was what I needed. I needed my relationship with the Lord strengthened. And I needed to get into a good spiritual state so that I could love my prodigal. And I never told my prodigal that I was praying and fasting for him. And if he ever hears this talk, out of my three boys, nobody knows which one I was praying for. Specific, there was one I was praying for even more than, I don't know, the Lord laid one on my heart. Um, I would sometimes get grouchy. <laughs> one time, one of my sons says, why are you so grouchy, Mom? Like, okay, great, you know, I'm not doing the Matthew 6. <laughs> Come on, girl. <laughs> that was a good reminder to me. It's funny, I recently skipped lunch, like, last week, 
And I became just the meanest, grouchiest person. I thought, wow, because it makes your sin come out. When you're not eating, I mean, how many of us, are, we're so dependent on our blood sugar goes down and we turn into a monster. I thought, wow, you know, how did I ever do that before? <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, that shows what a good spiritual state I was in before that I could do that because I was really dedicated to fasting then. So a friend encouraged me recently, said, the prayers you offer for your children are such a blessing. And many children grow up without the benefit of prayer. So just think about that, that time. So I was just so reminded of my weakness, dependence on the Lord, and I eventually became submitted to God's will. Romans 12, a lot of you can recite this by memory, I know. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this is what my goal was, being transformed. Boyce says, any Christian can accept as an unchangeable principle the truth that anything that contributes to his growth in holiness and the surrender or renewal of his mind is an aspect of God's will for him. That, that anything that hinders his growth and holiness is not. Okay, am I saying go and fast and pray? I'm recommending it as an option. I'm telling you, I was really desperate at that time. And maybe privately I can tell you what was going on. But it was something that I could hang on to that would help me. Did I see astonishing changes? Are all my kids now missionaries and pastors? No. But the change happened within me. And I will tell you that the child I was especially praying for during that time did go through a remarkable improvement in our relationship, the two of us. So I'm thankful. I can't say it's going to work. It's not a surefire thing, but definitely you're gonna, your heart will be blessed as you go to God in prayer and fasting. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Lloyd says, the ultimate choice is always the choice between pleasing self and pleasing God. So it was a beautiful experience. I stopped, why did I stop seven years, after seven years? Is that magic? No. It's when I started training for biblical counseling. I was driving down the La Mesa, like I told you, and I was handling eight cases a week as a newbie. And I was like, you know, I don't have a day when I can just veg out and not do anything. I had to really be on point all the time. So it stopped then, but it doesn't mean I'm not gonna start up again. I want us to look at Ephesians 3 as a prayer that helps us understand our goal. And our goal is not, through this, is not the salvation of our child. That would be like a beautiful benefit. But the goal is to grow in relationship to the Lord. And as we look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, it says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to do what? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And to him be the glory, is in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That love of God that we can understand takes us out of the grief and fear and even anger we might feel over having someone we pray for and they're not saved. I mean, like, how can we handle that? Except we learn, we've been learning there's a future ahead we don't know about. There's a God who gives us exactly what we need. He's working in us and we submit to him. So to quote Keller again, the, this fuller knowledge of God is a more critical thing to receive than a change of circumstances. Without this powerful sense of God's reality, good circumstances, like missionary children, pastor, good circumstances can lead to overconfidence and spiritual indifference. Without this enlightened heart, Bad circumstances can lead to discouragement and despair because the love of God would be an abstract concept, an abstraction, rather than the infinitely consoling presence it should be. You see what he's saying? God's giving us what we need for our spiritual life. So, we don't focus on what we want as much as what God desires for us. We follow his leading and his commands to pray to him like a loving father who does what's best for us. Since we read in Hebrews 12, the one who brings discipline and hard times in order to shape and meet his people's needs. And our need is truly for him more than anything. And in conclusion, I want to read to you what we know as a hymn, but I'll read to you as a poem, okay? So I know I'm not going to sing. We might want to all sing together, but I'm going to read it to you. Just listen to the words of what this says. What a friend. Oh, goodness, I don't know if I could do this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sin and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God.
in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who all who will all our sorrows bear? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen. I'm going to pray for all of us that we may grow in that. Father, I thank you for people who are willing to come to this conference, and sometimes it can be painful to think of what we desire compared to what you've given so far. But I pray that you would make us change our hearts so that we do come to you in prayer. We submit to you as a loving Father, knowing you do best, you're working your will, and draw us closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2018 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.